there should be nothing greater in this world, no other form of relationship or flag to rally under, to unite people like faith towards Christ. You know, having a depth of faith like this, it's a supernatural ability to unite us together in deep love and in fellowship, people who share this faith together. But outside the walls of this building, and sadly sometimes also regrettably even within them, the allegiance to bonds like this can be tested. We can be probably easiest in any relationship when it comes to brokenness is we begin to question maybe the truth or the validity of that thing that brings us together. When we have a relationship that surrounds something or someone, what we get back in those relationships is often what we determine as the value of, of what it is that we are uniting over. Maybe some of those outside the faith, maybe they see no reason for Christ because of the way that maybe we even demonstrate a lack of fellowship within the church. Maybe the relationships that we have leave much to be desired. It's okay because I volunteer, or it's okay because I have good people in my life, and so why do I need ultimately the church? Pastor Tate, last week, he mentioned... um, that he had seen the example of some men and some women who have in their lifetimes lived in such a way that there seemed to be something supernatural about their relationship with God. And ultimately, that led to a supernatural way that they had fellowship with other believers here on earth. And as we look deeper into the difficulty surrounding the brokenness, I think, of human relationship here in this letter we see the same type of paradoxical Christian love, and it has the ability to take shape in this man Philemon. As we look at his life and as we look at what is happening surrounding this letter, it has the ability to take shape in him, but also in these times that that we're challenged as Christians, that we're challenged in our fellowship, also expressions of doubt and division can equally take shape. And so as we continue our study this morning in Philemon, Paul's understanding of the deep importance of this outward love demonstrates uh, here in the beginning his le- he demonstrates it here in the beginning of his letter with an expression of thanksgiving and prayer. And uh, basically in all of Paul's letters, I think shy of maybe one or two, he begins with a time of thanksgiving and prayer for the people that he's writing to. Here in Philemon, he says uh, this, starting in verse 3. Again, Philemon's short, and so uh, there's no chapters. It's just verses. Uh, But in verse 3, he starts this. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all of the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. 
We're going, to be, uh, we're going to be in this short letter for about eight weeks. We've, we've had one, so this is week two. So there's six more weeks of this. And, and I hope you've had the opportunity, and I hope you maybe have even seized the opportunity this week to reread this letter. And in doing so, I hope that it brings understanding to you and in preparation for these times of study that we have together. And I think you've probably found that Paul has little, if nothing, to speak bad of Philemon with. The reports back that he's received have been good. They've, been, uh, they've talked about his faith and his love, and somehow he's been kept up to date on what's happening here in the church in Colossae, and a possible answer is that there's a man named Epaphras, and Epaphras has come from Colossae, and he's now in Rome, and he's found himself alongside of Paul. And so likely, uh, Epaphras has accounted for what's happening in the church in Colossae and with this man, Philemon. Paul makes mention um, that the reports back to him have been filled with demonstrations of faith and love. Yet undoubtedly, you would have also noticed in reading that there was a conflict that needed to be resolved. This conflict of this runaway servant, Onesimus, And so Paul structures his prayer, I believe, intentionally to help demonstrate to you and I the necessity and importance of God's intervening work in the church. When we are brought to conflict, when we are brought to struggles, and maybe even in times that are good, how do we, what are we doing to bring God into the picture? No assumption, I think, has been made by Paul of the actual spiritual maturity of Philemon. If he had, he probably would have just assumed that Philemon would take back Onesimus without any question. But I would contend that if we do this, if we assume spiritual maturity in the people around us, that we will lose an opportunity to do what God has asked us to do in contending for the faith in the lives of others around us. We often practice temporal prayer, and I'm not saying that that's bad situational prayer based on the earthly needs of the saints. We have a prayer list here at State Road Church. We pray for people who are in need. We pray for people who are hurting, and those are right and good things, but do we also faithfully practice prayer for the transformation of Christian character within those same saints and on a consistent basis? And so, Paul begins this passage with a prayer of thanksgiving. He's not, uh, again, I don't believe just praying a temporal prayer for Philemon. He's praying a prayer of transformation. And, and when he does that, he begins with a prayer of thanks for giving. He's orienting us, he's orienting Philemon to a right heart. And he says this, the, wor- or, the work of God has been evident in the life of of this man within the body of Christ, but Paul reminds us to celebrate first with thanksgiving what God has accomplished through him. And I think times in our lives there are things that we look at the things that we do or the things that are being accomplished, and we don't rightly account those, acknowledge those things to God. And so the first thing he does is he acknowledges the things that, uh, that he has done for the church, but through God as partners in the gospel. Every year when we're uh, 
preparing for a new season of student ministry, one of the things that we do, one of the things I do is I prepare a little, uh, a little form for kids to fill out, and it helps me get to know them a little bit better. It also gives me information on how to uh, get a hold of them and, and that kind of thing. But one of the things I do is every year at the bottom, I try to add a couple little questions. And uh, questions like, um, what color is nothing? Just get some thinking, right? Uh, Dunkin' Donuts or Tim Hortons, that one's rightly contended most of the time. Uh, one of my favorites, um, if, you, uh, if you've been given an elephant and you can't get rid of it, what do you do with it? Just different questions to try to understand maybe where these kids are at. Uh, they all sound a little bit funny or they might sound a little bit uh, disconnected, but they're to try to help understand where some of these students are at. And four or five years ago, I asked this question. Would you rather be the best player on a horrible team or the worst player on a great team? And most of my students, not all, but most of them said that they would prefer to be the worst player on a good team. And to be the worst player, I think, implies that you have little or no impact on the actual outcome of the game that's being played, the competitive games that are being played. And I think back to my high school days, I enjoyed a near-permanent spot on the pine. You can laugh, that's fine. But I did find joy in the collective winning of the team. Well, I mean, when we won, which wasn't often. But I also found sadness. I found sorrow in the collective loss of the team when we lost games. For context, uh, just to give you an idea of how little I committed to the team, Faith Schoberg scored more points on Saturday than I did in my entire career. So I'm just... She did score a lot, but even though I had little impact on the outcome of any of these games, I was part of a team, and in being such, I celebrated when we celebrated, and I was burdened when we were burdened. As co-heirs of salvation through Christ Jesus, regardless of our ranking, if we want to try to put some ranking to our places within the church or within a team, we are called to thanksgiving. As Paul himself, an apostle who has already given himself dearly to the faith, he's in prison right now, he does this for Philemon. He says, I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus for all of the saints. And I think through this that we can infer from Paul's words here that even though Paul himself doesn't have a deep or direct relationship with Philemon, he has somehow made it onto the apostles' prayer list. I mean, that would be a pretty good feeling, right? I mean, an apostle's praying for me. This is great. But at the same time, Paul, I don't think, was just praying for a few believers. Paul sought, I, I think this is true of, uh, of Paul in many different cases, he sought to pray deeply for people in these churches that he was hoping to establish, that he was hoping to partner with in the gospel and for those he was already partnering with, for those he was already committed to in the gospel. And, Jesus, and Paul is showing us, he's reminding us that we should be seeking to be thankful, to be praying for 
the saints that are around us. And, I, and when I say saints, we could be confused here. We could think that you're talking about, that I'm talking about Pastor Josh, or that I'm talking about me, or that I'm talking about other pastors or other leaders. But when we talk about saints, when Paul refers to saints, when Jesus refers to saints, he refers to you. How are we giving thanks to the Lord for what he has done in the lives of the people around us? How are we giving thanks for the ways that he's been a blessing and caused them to be a blessing within the church and within our communities? The offerings that God requires of you are not your money. They're not your stuff, and they're actually not even your abilities, but instead, what God wants from us are truly thankful hearts. And so Paul sets this tone, Paul sets this tone of thanksgiving and reorients, I think, our hearts and the heart of Philemon towards Christ, towards the perfecter of our faith, and also, also he directs us towards the future life to come. When we start our prayers with thanksgiving, we are reminded of what Christ has done for us, not necessarily what we've done for him. In Hebrews 13, 14 through 15, God, God's word states this, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Uh, there's another letter here that's considered to be a basically a sister letter to Philemon. It was, uh, it was the letter of Colossians, and it was written by Paul while he was imprisoned by Rome to the greater church in Colossae, which is, we found out that that's where Philemon is from. And he writes this letter also with open prayers of thanksgiving, reminding the church of the ultimate reason for all that they have and all that they are. What God is going to do, what God has done, and what God will do is do Christ. He says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And so as you pray, as we pray, we need to offer up a sacrifice of praise. Pray as Paul set an example for us here in thanksgiving for the joy and refreshment of the fellow believers around us. This deep koinonia partnership under the singular banner of God's qualification for each of the saints is a necessary posture that we have to seek together. This deep koinonia partnership. What God's calling us to do, what God's encouraging Paul to do for Philemon is to stop and take, just, just to stop and take a little minute to understand why Philemon is who he is, why Paul is who he is, and ultimately what we are being called to do. And so I want to do that right now. I just want to pray for thanksgiving for one another in faith and love, and ultimately for our qualification in Christ Jesus. Would you join me? Lord, we do thank you. We thank you, Lord, for one another. We thank you for faith and love. 
And Lord, ultimately, we see here that Paul is pointing us towards Christ, pointing Philemon towards Christ. And I pray, Lord God, you would remind us of our communal qualification in what Jesus has done on the cross. The Lord God, it is nothing that Philemon does or that Paul does or that we do that qualifies us for your kingdom, but instead, it is God himself who chooses. And so, Lord, we thank you for that, and we give you praise. I thank you, Lord, for the saints here among us that are serving you faithfully, that are an encouragement to one another, that are using their gifts of, of hospitality and of service, Lord, to be a blessing to the saints. We thank you, Lord, that that has uh, been a refreshment to our hearts on Sunday mornings, or on Tuesday nights, on Thursday, any, any time that we gather together, Lord, we have been refreshed, and I thank you, Lord, for the saints who are accomplishing that work through you. And so, Lord, we pray thanksgiving for the people here gathered. We pray thanksgiving for those who watch online. We pray thanksgiving, Lord, for those who call upon the name of Jesus that we might be united in koinonia partnership, koinonia fellowship. As we continue this morning, I pray that that would be the orientation of our hearts, hearts that are oriented towards you. We pray this in your name. Paul then, uh, he transitions on to the subject of his prayer. That though through the partnership that they enjoy in the gospel, Philemon will have to be spurred on to some action. In one sentence, he says this. He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective to the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. The original word used here for sharing is actually this word that I've thrown out this morning, koinonia. It can be confusing here with this English translation to, to, to hear this and say, okay, the sharing of our faith, okay, that means I need to go out and, and be evangelistic. But I think here what he's trying to say, what Paul is trying to say is that in the sharing of our faith, in the sharing, in the koinonia fellowship of our faith together as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And in other translations, this is rendered partnership, fellowship, and therefore, he says this, I pray that for the fellowship of your faith, your partnership of your faith, it may become effective in accomplishing the things that he says next, right? So he's going to eventually begin this conversation about Onesimus, his slave. But in tandem with Paul's words here, and along with the relationships that he noted at the introduction of the letter, he talks about uh, Aphia, who is likely his wife, uh, Philemon's wife, and then he also talks about Archippus, and Archippus is likely another man within uh, the church there. Paul's love, Paul's prayers for Philemon, mixed with the fertile soil of the relationships and fellowship that he finds in his home, hopefully will be the place where Philemon can continue to grow in faith. As brothers and sisters in Christ, are we praying, are you praying that the Christian fellowship we enjoy will lead to the growth of the others around us? 
in faith towards Jesus, in love towards the saints, and as he says here, in all else that is good within us. In his commentary on Philemon, there's a man named Arthur Ruprick, and he notes this, that knowledge precedes good works. Philemon's life was already filled with the fruit of good works. So why then does Paul call for knowledge? Why does Paul call for knowledge in Philemon's life if he is already equipped, if he's already producing the good works that we hear of? In Colossians 1, 9 through 11, we see a little bit of a pattern that I hope opens this up for you all. He says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So we have the knowledge first. Secondly, so as to walk in a manner worthy to the Lord, we have action, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. But then next we also have this, an increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. In our lives, the faith that we have will be challenged. The faith that we have in Jesus will be challenged by the different constructs that we find ourselves in in this world. And maybe using words like that helps it to, to feel like, well, that's, I can just push that off. My faith is strong. My faith will be okay. But as we begin to understand what those constructs are that will dissuade us or challenge us, we begin to use words like culture or entertainment or laws or traditions or communities. These are more difficult times for us to, to try to understand, okay, will my faith be challenged? How will my faith be challenged? And as we look at the ways, the many different ways within this world that our faith can be challenged, it becomes, I think, inevitable. As I mentioned at the offset this morning, what can be easiest in any relationship when it comes to brokenness is that we actually begin to tru- uh, um, question the truth or the validity of that thing that is uniting us based on the strength or lack thereof of the fellowship that we receive from it. And so my question for you today is, are we in this together? Are you in this with me? Are you in this with each other? Knowledge precedes good works, but knowledge also comes from good works, and this all from the prayer support of God's people to God's people. It produces endurance and patience with joy. And so, what ultimately is missing for Philemon? Paul is praying for Philemon. Paul um, yearns for Philemon, I think, to to grow and to be transformed, and so what is it Why is it that he prays like this? The content of the rest of Paul's letter really requires a significant amount of prayer for this brother in Christ. The burden that he was about to bear was heavy. Paul will go on in his letter asking Philemon to receive back someone who has wronged him, as now a beloved brother and no longer a servant. Paul's trying to intercede for him spiritually, but also financially. Paul says, hey, I'll pay this man's debts that Onesimus owed. Could you do it? 
Could we do it? The ethic of it makes sense, I think, from a Christian worldview. But the application of something like this is much more difficult even for somebody who loves the saints, who loves and has a deep faith in God. And regardless of each man standing as master or servant, these two men certainly departed under some poor conditions. And over time, t- over time when... when um, When those difficulties are, are at hand, the bitterness can take root. And so what Paul is asking Ones- uh, um, Philemon to do for Onesimus is no small feat. Because this is not the return of the prodigal son for Philemon, right? I mean, he, he was, uh, as Josh mentioned the joke last week, he was useless to him. He felt like he was useless. This is not an exciting return, but instead it's a reminder of a debt owed. And this is why I believe that Paul is praying that what is good within Philemon is for the sake of Christ. He's reminding him of that first because Christ is who paid his debt. The debt that Onesimus owes pales in comparison And so does the debts that we probably think other people owe us. And so in our day-to-day lives, the people that we are not reconciled to, what debt is it that we think they owe us that Christ can't pay? And I believe this is why Paul is praying for him. I think he wants him to see and understand, I think, For us, we need to see and understand what it is that Christ has done so that we can also understand that the debts that the people owe us around us pale in comparison. Paul later in verse 17 draws back to the purview this idea of partnership between them. Verse 17, he says, so if you consider me your partner, and so we'll go back, the the word actually here for partner is koinonoos. And so, if you consider me your koinonos, if you are united in Jesus with me, this koinonia partnership, this koinonia fellowship, will you receive him as you receive me? This level of paradoxical love requires partnership not with things of this earth, but through the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we're praying for people, when we're praying for the salvation of others, when we're praying for the difficulties that they might come into and face, are we praying for this deep, paradoxical love that is required? Let's just take a moment to pray that knowledge will lead to action, and that action will lead to knowledge. Lord, we know who you are. And if we don't, I pray, Lord God, that the words that have been shared this morning from your word would be evidence of who you are. But Lord, I just also pray that the knowledge that we have that has led to the action that is in our lives would not rest there. That Paul sees within Philemon a need to go farther in his faith that 
His faith needs to build upon the knowledge and the action that has already taken place. And I pray that over the folks that have gathered here today. That you would help us, Lord, to understand that the knowledge and the action that has been taken is to lead to more knowledge and to more action. And that ultimately, Lord God, this understanding, this acknowledgement comes through Christ Jesus. And so we thank you, Lord God, for your son. We thank you, Lord, for what he has created here on this earth. We thank you that he has drawn us into a partnership, a koinonia, for the work of the gospel, to extend the work of the gospel even today. Lord, I pray that the folks here also understand that this koinonia partnership is necessary for each one of us, that we would pray deeply for knowledge and understanding in the lives of those who sit around us, for those who, that, that we invest in in discipleship, that they would come to a better understanding of who you are and in doing so that they would take action in their faith that the things of earth would fade away and that they would look towards you, their Father. The sacrifices that you have made, the debts that you have paid, I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of that. The debts that we may think that others owe us here on earth pale in comparison to the debt you paid for us. Lord, let that be a reminder in us today May the folks here exceed in knowledge and let that, action, uh, that knowledge take action in their lives as they walk out these doors into a world who needs the hope of Christ. We pray this in your name. These are difficult and intentional prayers. The ones that I'm offering up are... are are a little bit more open. But what Paul is calling us to in his prayers to Philemon is something intentional. They're prayers that lead to the transformation and maturity in the life of Philemon. They're prayers that we're called to pray for the transformation and the maturity in the life of fellow believers. Bob Rognolin, in his book, Empowering Missional Disciples, said, The kingdom Jesus announced was one where he both taught us to pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and he also shows us how to become conduits of the power required to accomplish that redemptive purpose. Paul didn't just pray that Philemon would accept Onesimus back, but instead, he prays for a transformation in Philemon that was built upon a firm foundation of knowledge, faith, and love. And that faith in Christ and love for the saints wouldn't be the absolute destination of Philemon's work for the sake of Christ, but instead, that Philemon would become a conduit of the power required to accomplish the redemptive purpose Christ had for him. 
I can tell you I need more of this in my life. I need to be praying this more in my life. I was convicted as I read these words because how often am I praying deep, intentional prayers for the maturity and transformation of each of you? It can be so easy for us to pray temporal prayers. And again, not that those are bad. Christ calls us to lay those things at His feet. But He also desires for us something more. And I think we should also desire rightly for the transformation of the character of those people that we're praying for and to be conformed to that of Christ. When we pray for people, when we pray for the ways that they are hurting and struggling, do we also pray that they would be conformed to the character of Christ? At times, these prayers are right and good, like I said, when brothers and sisters are in the midst of conflict, that they might find perseverance, perseverance which gives way to character and character to hope. There's a, uh, I heard of a time when an English minister, he's a commentary writer named Matthew Henry, he was robbed one night. And after he was robbed, he gave a little bit of commentary and, and really a prayer to God about the situation he found himself in. And he said this, he said, Dear God, I thank thee first that I was never robbed before. Good. I thank thee second because although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, although they took everything I had, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, and not I who did the robbing. Matthew's thanksgiving here is based initially on the temporal. He points out things like it wasn't a lot of money, I'm still alive, I've only had to deal with this stress once. But then this last line reminds me, and I hope all of us, that we are capable, what we are capable of due to our human depravity. I thank thee because it was I who was robbed and not, not, not I who did the robbing. It's probably a phrase that most of us would leave out of our Sunday morning praise, right? We, I, was, I got robbed, but I'm alive. But we probably aren't sharing this comment. We probably aren't even thinking necessarily about this third praise, this third thanksgiving that He gives, that, thee, that I thank Thee because that I, I, it was I who was robbed and not I who did the robbing. Our fragile, fragile human frames are capable of lapses in judgment. We are subject to temptation. And it's why we should be praying even when things are generally good. We should pray when our brothers and sisters are in conflict, but we should also be praying for them when things are good. I mentioned earlier a man named Epaphras. Epaphras was the man from Colossae who is now with Paul in Rome, and he deeply prays for the church while he's with, Rome, or while he's with Paul in Rome. He says in Colossians 4.12 this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. His prayer wasn't for any specific conflict within the church there. 
But instead, it was that they would find assurance in God's will as mature believers. And as we further understand who we are in respect to God, we should better understand our need for Him in all things. You might not think that you're, you're prone to rob somebody. You're not going to leave here and head to Walmart and steal something. But our hearts are prone. Our hearts are depraved. And we need to understand that even more so. And I think Matthew Henry does. I, I think he understands the depravity of his heart. Because the depths of the human heart are what require the grace of Jesus. The depths of our depravity are what require Christ's sacrifice for us. Both Paul and Epiphras are setting an example for us, an example that this type of understanding and trust should be the prayer that rises up from the hearts of those that are within this partnership of the gospel for those within the partnership of the gospel. And so I want to pray for that now. I want to pray for transformation in the lives of one another when we're in controversy, but also when we're in comfort. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray for transformation. I pray for transformation in the lives of those who are gathered here today. That we don't only seek that you would take for us care in this in our human lives, and the struggles that we're having today, but you would also use those conflicts to produce character within us. And that it would be our intention as believers, as partners in the gospel, to pray in such a way for those who are around us. That when we find ourselves in conflict, and even when we don't, that we would be praying that in the times that we do, that we would be transformed by your will, that we would be transformed in such a way that our character would be developed, that we would grow closer to who you are as a reflection of your grace and mercy towards us. Even in the difficulties of what Onesimus is dealing with, we pray, Lord, Paul was praying for that, and help us, Lord, to pray for one another in those things. But also help us to pray as Epaphras did, Lord, in the times that are good. That we might be ready and strong and firm when those times come. And then in those times when our character is tested, Lord God, that we would praise you. We would show others that our faith in you is what unites us. Lord, I pray today for the transformation of those who hear your word. I pray for it in such a way, Lord, that would help them to see and know that what we are called to is a fellowship, what we are called to in partnership in the gospel is much more than gathering on a Sunday morning. Lord, help us to leave, lead deep and committed prayer lives that are intentional and direct for the sake of maturing your believers. We pray this in your name. Pastor Josh will continue further into the heart of this letter in the weeks to come. I'm glad that I'm not having to deal with that deep topic of 
servitude or slavery. But an overarching theme to be considered as we discuss this is the theme of reconciliation. And as believers, we are called to unity. Jesus is recorded in John 17 as saying this, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. And so, though the theme of this letter may be reconciliation, we must understand that reconciliation is a restoring of something to something. It's a restoring of koinonia partnership, united by grace, by the grace of Jesus in His power for His redemptive purpose. In Galatians chapter 3, we are exhorted, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that sentiment is also echoed in Colossians chapter 3. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And so as part of such a fellowship, we need to commit to pray for one another Pray not only for the temporal prayers that we have each day, but also rightly motivated prayers for transformation, transformation of the saints that are right here around you. As we close this morning, I want to make one final note. Paul bookends this letter with with two, uh, two short sentences on grace. In verse 3, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 25, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace to hear the words of the letter. Grace towards Paul who is acting as an agent of Christ. Grace towards a trust in Christ's work. Grace to allow transformation to occur in Philemon's heart. In Romans 16, 19 through 20, it says, it's a a camp song. I just want to sing Romans 16, 19, 20. Anyway. "For, For your obedience is known to all. So that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so as I considered these words, as I considered what was being said here in Romans, I was also reminded of a song that we're going to sing in just a moment. We're going to sing a little bit of a play on that song, but turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. What we're called to is more than what is here on earth. 
And since Genesis 3 in the garden when God condemned Satan, he also promised that one day he would send one to come and destroy him. This is the Jesus that empowers us. That empowers each of you together in partnership today to accomplish his redemptive purpose. We need to pray in thanksgiving. We need to pray in knowledge that leads to action. We need to pray for transformation. And in doing so, we share, we partner in our faith by pointing other brothers and sisters towards the source of hope, Jesus Christ. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, so often we can get tied into the context of this world. We can look at the constructs of it. We can look at relationships. We can look at the law. We can look at traditions. We can look at so many things that draw us away from you in an attempt to keep us firmly planted here with our feet on earth. Rather than focused on the home that is in heaven. Lord God, I pray that this would be the reminder that we need. That the time that we invest in in this world, Lord, is not what you've called us to. That, Lord, instead you've called us to be a fellowship of believers, a koinonia, a, a partnership for the gospel work. And I pray, Lord God, that that would be what empowers one another. We would be empowered by Jesus Christ. You give us the power to be part of your redemptive purpose. And I pray, Lord God, that that redemptive purpose would be realized in the lives of the saints here today. That we would be in deep prayer for one another not just our pastors, not just our leaders, but Lord, also for those who go and share the gospel of Jesus, who draw others near to him. We pray, Lord God, that it would be a transformation. That the prayers that we offer up would fall on your ears. That the prayers that we offer up would take root in the hearts of those around us. And so, Lord, help us to pray as Paul has prayed. Help us to pray as Epaphras has prayed. Lord, help us to struggle deeply in our prayers for one another that you might ultimately be glorified, that your Son may be glorified, that we might, Lord, look ahead to what is to come that one day we will be with you. Lord, go with us now. We pray in your name. Amen.